Hello, and welcome to the VC United On The Rise podcast, hosted by me, Trace Nowak, and Executive Director Eric Schultz. Enjoy the show. Welcome to episode three of the VC United podcast with me, Trace Nowak, and Eric Schultz. Eric, how's it going? Good. Good. Uh, and I think we're starting to get some traction on this. And I, I didn't look at the, the listens. How yeah, many I'm we getting. Yeah, we probably need to do that. <laughs> yeah. But we are getting some traction. We're hearing some feedback from, from some parents about mm-hmm. uh, appreciative of, of uh, the updates. And, um, you know, obviously, as we get into a better groove with this week to week, there's going to be less of a club update to talk about. But, yep. um, you know, I know this week we're, we're – finalizing the the last week of the boys season the, the elite teams are playing out at uh, sky high at a president's day event um for two days and, and they'll they'll go on their their couple week hiatus before the uh the boys high school season starts up here in rockford and uh looking forward to kind of seeing you know how the guys go into that world and and what level you know they're producing and, and yep. playing at um and see how that goes i know it's been uh it's been an odd season for the boys i i, I think we touched on this a little bit, but I think just to dive in a little deeper, I know you know the combination it's it's been a weird schedule. It was very front loaded. So they had to play all those payload states, you know, in the elite program way up in the front end of the of the schedule. Um with a lot of COVID stuff, like they they really got affected during that. Yeah, bad. When when Omicron really yep. took off, um, it kind of created a a thing where they were to, I mean, they had practices where they had twelve guys here, you know, yeah. out of forty. Yep. Yep. Um, so I know that, that, that definitely threw them for a loop as well. Um, and, you know, certainly hope that that's at the end of it. But again, I, I very much want to thank the coaching staff, um, you know, for their efforts this year and, um, you know, just giving those guys everything they got when they're there and, and, uh, you know, hope they can wrap up this season, um, on a high note and, and a positive note and, and uh, you know, wish those guys uh, the best of luck going into their high school seasons next year or this, this spring, excuse me, and um, go from there. But, um, you know, we just wrapped up volley kids uh, or we'll, we're actually wrapping it up this Sunday um, for this uh, winter session. And then we'll, we'll be looking at scheduling our spring dates for that. Um, I had the biggest tournament um, yeah. ever uh, here in, in this building. Yep. Uh, we actually had all 12 courts rocking and rolling this weekend, which, um, you know, certainly kept us uh, all a little nervous going into the weekend <laughs> and how that was going to hold up. Um, it sounds like everything was was positive and things went well and the building was extremely busy um, with all 12 courts going. And we actually had five courts also go down downtown at UWL Sports Factory. So it was a big event for us. I'm excited to see our tournaments kind of going that direction. Um and, you know, again, just, just some other stuff going on out there. I got a chance finally to – I had my first weekend off um, of <laughs> yeah, the season. Since last year. Uh, right, since <laughs> uh, since the season got going here with the 18s, and I uh, got a chance to to spend a lot of time. Saw a little bit of 153 elite play and, and then got a chance to see my daughter play quite a bit uh, this weekend. So that was fun uh, to kind of do the dad thing, although I don't really do the dad thing very well. I <laughs> just definitely was doing more coaching. Um you know, but here we are going into this weekend and it's a, you know, on the girls elite side, it's a big weekend, you know, okay. present state tournament is kind of the, 
you know, it's funny as the, as the regional program is still is kind of getting to the back end of their tournament schedule. Yep. The girls' elite really is just starting to kick off now. This is the first big tournament of the year for all of our teams. Uh, we've got five teams out at the prestigious uh, Triple Count NIT yep. out in Kansas City, uh, which is an invite event. We got all of our ones teams uh, were invited to play. Um, in fact, we got a, a, a first, right? 181 was selected to yeah. go into the power pool for the first time. So that's the first yeah. time one of our teams is, has been selected for the power pools, which is a long story in and of itself that we don't need to get into about one team. But <laughs> um, so excited to see how our, our team could do there. We've got a, our twos teams in the elite program are going down St. to St. Louis um, to play in another big President's Day tournament there. And then we've got um, our threes and fours staying local playing back here in chicago and uh uh playing in a in in another three-day tournament here and so lots going on everybody's going different directions uh you know travel for first travel weekend for some of our teams is going to be there's always some logistics that come with making sure our coaches get where they're supposed to go hotels are taken care of things like that Uh, we got a couple of reports about the hotel down in Kansas City potentially not getting great reviews. And, and yeah. again, people just tend not to understand some of the dynamics of state of play volleyball. And it's yeah. <laughs> why we, the we don't, reason why we don't like it. <laughs> right. We don't, we don't, we don't choose this stuff. You know, they, they assign us a hotel and that's where we get to stay. And, yep. and, uh, you know, it's, um, you know, still being a young club um, with, you know, nobody that's out there dominating national championships where we're, we're going to still kind of be, you know, uh, I wouldn't call us low man on the totem pole. I think we're a few yeah. rungs up, but we're st- certainly not at the top of it. We're not going to get our, our pick of the litter, and you know we got to earn that, um, you know, with what we do out on the court. But um, premieres off this weekend, so that'll be you know because because of President's State tournaments uh, with all the big facilities, um, so they're off this weekend, and, and regional continues to grind away at their the Mizuno Challenge Series. And, and again, I've been pretty excited about those tournaments. I think we're getting a great. Um, representation of a lot of different smaller clubs that are kind of perfect for our regional teams to be uh, competing with. And uh, so I'm glad that that kind of continues uh, to, to go that way. I know we talked uh, earlier this week, you know, so we've got some people kind of reaching out about pictures. I know yep. Vicki and her, her team are, are doing that. Did you end up getting a specific update on those in terms ha- of, of when those are um, going to get posted? I, they're continuing to work through them this week. So okay. I think we'll find out more by the end of this week, what they get through. But awesome. I so, know my team was being worked on yesterday. I got, yeah. I got that back. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully the, those will get up and then people can start picking through the, the options for their pictures. So that's, uh, that's all there. Um, I know another thing that people have been asking a lot about is, is gear, yeah. fan gear. And uh, you know, again, behind the scenes, this sounds so simple, right? Like mm-hmm. you're a volleyball club. We have parents, they want to wear VC United stuff. Let's just get it done. So they're probably right. In a certain level, it is simple. We have yeah. some complexities in our the structures of our deals. And unfortunately, like with Mizuno, they're a mess right now with supply chain. Yep. So I mean, they we asked them about open, reopening a store. They said six to seven week turnaround. I'm like, the season's going to be over for half of our teams at that yeah. point. So right. that that's not going to work. So now we have to kind of – we. We're trying a, a fan gear option that just ended up not working um, to a complete online option. That's just not going to work. So we're we're now looking to to kind of figure out a, a solution for those parents that are looking for more gear uh, to wear. So just stay tuned. We'll we'll keep working on it. We'll come up with something here um, in the short term. Um, but you know, beyond that, 
I think the big thing right now, you know, again, not that I want to focus on any one particular area, but, you know, girls elite, I know everybody's going to be hung up right now on the recruiting because Division One recruiting opens up back up this weekend, yep. um, which I find out it's always interesting, right? Like Division One, you know, like a small percentage of our players are going to go Division One. Yeah. And, and that's, that's not, that's a small percentage of called volleyball players nationally Correct. go Division One. And I think that gets lost in the shuffle sometimes is that, you know, we were talking, uh, you know, Illinois Prep Volleyball ranked the top 100 players in the class of 2023. Correct. And, of course, you and I spent some time debating the validity of these rankings and yes. whether or not how accurate they may be or not. And certainly for the players that received a ranking, that's, you know, we, we compliment them for that and we're happy for them. Um, obviously, rankings are very, yeah. very subjective. Very and, subjective. And, uh, you know, you never know. But... I, there was an interesting takeaway from those rankings, and we talked about this a little bit, which was in the class of 2023, out of the top 100 players, there were only about 28 players that, in the entire class that were committed. Yep. And that's the top 100 players in the state of Illinois, which obviously this is a hotbed of, of volleyball um, in every way. Yeah. And that should tell everybody a pretty unique story right now about recruiting, about what's going on in the recruiting world. It's not to make anybody scared. It's to nope. send any fear sending, but, but there's some stuff that's changed in the portal and the, yep. the COVID waiver years and all of that stuff. So we know that our kids really want to get recruited. Yep. Uh, we know that, and we're going to be there to support it. I think Courtney uh, Slinko um, has been, who's our, our new recruiting coordinator, co coordinator this year, who's been working with Lauren Hansen. Um, with League One, you know, she's doing a phenomenal job. She's been, you know, yeah. she's working, she's got, you know, every kid in our club's got a, you know, individual folder and yes. she's keeping yep. things up to date and she's very methodical and, and thorough with what she's doing. Um, we're going to support these efforts at a level that most clubs don't even dream of trying to support these efforts. Um, that all being said, it, it's, it still it's stinks. a long process yep. and it's going to take a long time. And, and just look at our current class of 2023 kids. I mean, yeah. we have... And we were just talking about the number one. We were debating who the number one 2023 was in the right, nation. Right. And one of the two people we were debating only just committed four days ago. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's recruiting has changed dramatically in the last se several years. Um, and I think the pandemic certainly a huge yeah. part of it. The, the transfer portal is another yep. huge part of it. Um, so I hope people will be patient um, with this process and, and understand that, you know, we only have three players committed yes. right now in our, in our class, which is, you know, kind of unheard of at, for this time of the year. And this is just, we're all adapting to all of the, the changing rules. So, yeah. um, that's kind of, you know, for me, that's kind of what's, you know, top of mind for me, uh, things that are going on in the club. I mean, we're kind of settling into the, you know, the day to day, um, on the practice side and, you know, kids are, you know, now we're kind of getting settled into this routine, um, you know, now the holidays are over and all of that. And, and we've gone this month and we're starting to get an idea of where we're at out on the court, kind of set the bar, kind of figure out, okay, what do we need to get after? And I'm um, watching our technical directors do a really good job evaluating where the teams are at and trying to adjust uh, yeah. practices to, to, to help our kids out. And, and, you know, so but there's so many things that we could be doing right now. Um, it's hard to figure out where to start, right? Like we could be working on mindset. We could be working on, you know, I, I'm listening to a great podcast right now about, um, it's actually the man in the arena podcast, like the companion podcast to the Tom Brady series that ESPN yeah. put out and a uh, great one that I just listened to about, um, flow, uh, the flow state, the flow state, yeah. 
uh, and the idea of, of getting into that place and, and how, you know, it's funny. I watch so many of our players, we do not achieve flow state right yeah, now right. Um, uh, because they, they carry mistakes around with them and all that. So there's all these places that, you know, any given day I can, I can be in about, I can say 20 things that I think are the most important, uh, which is uh, obviously an oxymoron. You can't have 20 things that are the most important. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, we're, we're trying to prioritize the things that we can help, uh, you know, that can help our club at the same time. And, um, but again, lots of good things happening right now. So I'm looking forward to this weekend to kind of see. I look at this weekend differently than probably some do. I think this is our first real test. I think we come out of this weekend knowing where we're at, not necessarily where we're going to be. Yeah. And, you know, it's February. And so I, I will fully anticipate, this, you know, that there, there we'll see some good results. We'll see some not so good results. Um, and I think we're going to have a, a really good chance to kind of look at how we're doing nationally um, amongst the clubs outside of the area and, and really get an understanding of, okay, here's where we're at. Where do we want to be? What's the path to get there? And so that's what I look forward to kind of using this weekend to kind of to, to learn that. I I don't anticipate any of our teams winning their divisions, or yeah. and, and that's not what we're going out to do this weekend. We're going out to to get tested, and, yeah. and we entered our teams into some pretty challenging divisions. Um, again, part of who I am as a director and always have been, we don't really sandbag. Yeah. Uh, we, don't, we don't really – lower ourselves just yep. to win um we're going to challenge our teams and and put them in the the most uh difficult positions possible so that they they can grow and get better but it, that, that also requires having a group of people including the parents that yep. that understand that's what we're doing yep. you know uh we can there's so many levels of volleyball out there right now we could put our kids in we could definitely put our teams in positions where they can go win yeah 100 the vast majority of their matches yep. if we if we pick the right spot right yep. but that's just not uh, to me that's not the way you learn you yep. You know, another thing I learned out of the podcast, you know, Tom Brady lives by the mantra. You're either winning or you're learning. Yep. And there's, that's it, you know, and, and so, you know, that's, I think we're really trying to impress upon our kids. That's really who we are and what we're trying to do and, and go from there. So that's my, uh, that's my club update. That's where my head's at for the week and, and look forward to kind of sitting back and hearing this and once you get it all posted and, and hear how things are going elsewhere uh within the club and staying on top of all of it and good luck to all the teams this weekend coaches this weekend as they get out to these bit first big tournaments and and uh certainly to our boys as they wrap up and uh you know regional program just keep up the good work and premier we'll see you back in action the following week. hey it's time for a volleyball 101 session with trace and eric but mainly eric so we've received some feedback on our Volleyball 101 section on what parents might be interested in hearing about, and we're going to just start briefly positions where seem to be a common theme. We'll start this episode by doing an overview, generally, of all the positions, and maybe afterwards go more specifically into positions in later episodes, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, like we took this sort of deep dive, at least as deep a dive as you can take without diagramming yeah. uh, things visually uh, into substitutions last week and like this, the substitution protocols. Um, and, you know, like you said, we got some feedback uh, and, and keep it coming. Um, yes, please. You know, we can talk volleyball all day and, and you know, 
there are definitely things that I take for granted after yeah. 25 years of being in it uh, that people would understand that that I, I should probably realize that they don't. Um, and my wife's usually pretty good about setting me straight on some of the things Both that I do wives. assume. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they probably shouldn't be assumed. But um, yeah, the, the position thing I think is interesting, right? Because I, I you know... I think in other sports, it, it tends to be a little bit more straightforward at times of like, whether it's alignment or whatever, mm-hmm. like what players are playing where. And, and for us with the rotations and trying to get an understanding of where everybody's going and, yep. and what we're looking for. So I think from a, you know, we, I'll start where we ended, which I, last week we talked a lot about when within the substitutions, we talked about liberos, yep. right? Like we talked about the whole idea of a libero and there's no substitution number or any of that. I think, the best way to kind of get into this is to probably talk about the position, the responsibilities of the position, and maybe a little bit of what we're trying to identify yeah. um, in that position from a, you know, from a skill or a talent or, or an athletic perspective. So libero, you know, for those of you that, that, that have, don't know exactly what it is, it's a, it's a defensive only position. It can only play in the back row. Um, they, cannot, they cannot attack a ball. Um, above the net and e- either back row or front row. That's that a matter. big one. Um, they cannot attack the ball. Yeah. Um, they can hit a ball over the net if they're standing on the floor, as long as that ball is not above the plane right of the net. net. I think, um, I think that's probably a good one that I don't think, I think a lot of coaches actually don't actually know sure. that rule is it doesn't matter if you jump, a libero can jump and attack a ball as long as they don't hit it above the height of the net. Yep. The good news is most of our liberos probably don't jump that high, right. so it shouldn't be that big of an issue. Um, but we do have some, yep. you know, you, you think of like an Abby Schleter right now who's been an outsider her whole life, now playing libero yep. in the 17s. She, she definitely can get up and attack yep. a ball oh, above yep. the tape. You know, Grace yep, Becky's too. been in that sp- spot for a while. Yep. Um, Wick. Spent more time, yeah. So there's a lot of kids that we have that can do it. But mm-hmm. um, from a rule, they, they cannot attack the ball above the net. And really what you're trying to identify there, their responsibilities, we want liberos to really pass a lot of the court and service, right? Yep. Like to, you know, a lot of times you'll see us make alignments where the libero is really responsible for almost half the court, even though we have three people in the service. Um, so we want that to be a, a really solid technique level passer, somebody that's going to, um, you know, be able to handle a ton of court. Um, you also want them to be dynamic defensively. Uh, where they can go run around and make plays, and and you see a lot, a lot of diving, um, a lot of a lot of wild type uh, movements out there from that position. Um, strong serving is a great quality to find with a libero. I mean, they really can only yep. impact the game in three ways, and that's serving, passing, and defense. They yep. they don't block, they don't attack, um, they kind of set, yeah. uh, which is you know that's a system thing, but. Um, you know, so from a responsibility standpoint, that's what we're looking for. And then, you know, well, what are we trying to identify? And I think what, what happens is, you know, in the perfect world, you'd have a libero that's good at all three of those things. Um, equally as good at each of those areas. Sometimes we don't find that. Sometimes we find one that's a little better at passing, a little weaker on the defensive side, and maybe somewhere in the middle on the, on, on the serving side. But, you know, we, a perfect world you'd have, they would be elite and the best at the, on their team in all three of those positions, but that's not always going to be the case. Um, quick, athletic, um, under control, leadership qualities are strong, uh, communicate well with their teammates, get, get serve receives aligned, get other things set up. That's really what you're looking for at the libero position. Um, for those of you guys trying to figure it out, those will be 
you know, the players that are wearing the other color jersey. Um, <laughs> it's the, they're easy, the easiest ones to figure out. They're, they're there. And so there's a lot of rules within the libero thing. You can, you can designate one libero um, and change them bet- between sets. Um, and, and you can use multiple people at libero. You can designate two liberos. That means they're designated for the match. Mm-hmm. They can be used interchangeably. You can just sort of swap them in and out whenever you want. Um, there's a lot of different ways and strategies to use the libero. There's no right or wrong way. Um, certainly at the highest levels, you're going to generally see one libero. One, yep. Um, and, and, but here in a player development atmosphere, that's probably not our priority uh, as much. Um, also in club, because in high school, you sure. can only designate one for that, a match. Yep, yep. So again, like, yeah, we'll try to stay away from the <laughs> crazy rules that go on there. So that position, um, I think, handles that. From that libero position, you also can see role, a role called defensive specialist. And generally what that is is somebody that comes in to play back row for somebody, in the, uh, a hitter in the front row. Um, they tend to have a lot of the same qualities as a libero. They're, they're usually shorter, undersized, quick, athletic players um, that, you know, again, are just going out there to, to kind of maybe – do a skill or a set of skills in the passing defense serving side that maybe the the taller players are not as uh, high level at or whatever. Um, and it allows, you know, uh, in our sport, it allows a lot of inclusivity in terms of, you know, yes, volleyball players need to be tall, you know, the, the tall athletic and all of that stuff, but there is an opportunity for that smaller undersized player to still contribute at a high level in our sports. So the defensive specialist role, that does count against your substitutions. There's a lot of uses of that defensive specialist, but again, they're generally only going to play back row. Um, that's what they're there for. Defensive specialist, I mean, it, by definition, is to, to go out there and specialize in the defensive side of the game. Um, so you see that as well. But that that's a role, probably less than a position, right? Because yep. really, when we, you know, if you want to talk about positions, we're going to kind of kind of go towards now what I think a lot of people kind of see out on the court. So probably first big one, setter. Yeah. Right. Like that's. The player that's going to make the second contact, you know, we just talked about the players that generally make a lot of the first contacts. It's the player that's going to make the second contact is that player, that, that setting position. The really, really good ones are using their hands on everything, right? They're, yep. they're out there. They're, they're throwing, uh, taking that ball on the second contact, and they're distributing the ball to their hitters in the front row um, or in, at times in the back row and, and setting up the offense. They generally, we get comparisons to a point guard in basketball to a quarterback on a football team they're they're really that player that's there to facilitate making you know getting that play going they're not going to get a lot of you know generally they don't get the kills they're not going to end a lot of points that's not really their job uh their job is to do that so you know what are we looking for in that position you know i think we are maybe a little unique at vc united um and i'll say a little because i think there's other clubs out there that and people that value this stuff for us we we're going to value at the highest level we're going to value kids with with you know great hands right like we the ability to set the ball the skill of setting the ball very different than the art of being a setter yep um we we need players that can locate the ball and and put the ball in a place that the hitters can take a swing um uh, that's really their primary function size doesn't matter as much if that is your objective as a coach or as a club or, or whatever, mm-hmm. um, that size isn't a big deal. Now there are other, certainly a, there's a community of people out there that believe you need to have 
that 5'10", 5'11", six-foot setter that, that can put up a block and do all those other things. And I believe me, I, I've got a six-foot-two, almost six-foot-three lefty on my 18 team right now that's awesome to have. But you know what? Just as much as we, we know how, how valuable Jaden Flynn was all those years, <laughs> too, at 5'6", five, 5'7". Five, yeah. she, I think she says she's 5'8", so we'll go 5'8". Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but, but she, I mean, that kid can knock the wings off a fly, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of her accuracy and her ability to locate and and put the ball in a good place. So that position is super important. You deem you have to be a leader in that position, um, to be good at it, Mm -hmm. to be really good at it. You have to be a leader. Um, and so you're, you're looking for somebody with really good feet, um, strong presence and strong mental um, skills, the ability to kind of process information, make decisions in a very short period of time, and then athletically be able to put the ball in a place that the, the hitters can, can then go up and take a swing. No different than a quarterback, you know, putting the ball in a great place for the receiver to make the catch. You know, yeah. um, you know we, we just got done watching the Super Bowl, right? And there's yep. just that ability to put the ball in a position where you can run after catch, right? Like, so you can see the wide receiver doesn't just get tackled right away. They keep being able to run that. That's something a great quarterback can do. Um, same thing here where, where great setters can put the ball in a position where the hitters can easily hit the ball around the block, find a way to score the ball and, and put them in a, in a position to be successful. The other positions um, become the attacking positions. So generally speaking, we're left side, middle, right side, right? Like those are the two. Now, left side equals outside hitter. Yeah. Okay. Middle blocker, middle hitter, same thing. Yep. So, so when you guys see MB, MH, same, same thing. thing. Just, just one of those weird, nuancey things that yep. people call it different things. Um, yeah, some of it's regional, some of it's generational, some of it makes no sense at all. <laughs> right. Right side, opposite, Yep. same thing. They're the same thing. You know, the opposite is supposed to be that hitter that's over, you know, behind the setter. Um, some people call it a right side, some people call it an opposite all again, all the same stuff. It's, it's just different names for the same thing, but they're really easy to identify because that's where they hit. Yeah. So if you're looking, if you're standing behind the, the, the court and you're watching your team play the left side or the outside hitters hitting on the left side of the court out at the left pin more often than not, the middle is hitting in between the left and the right side, somewhere in those spaces, uh, you know, a very common attack is that, that one ball. Um, and the right side is hitting on the right side of the court near the right antenna. It's <laughs> or or the opposite. So those are kind of the common places for you, for you to see those players play. So I think what what are we looking for? Well, the way conventional systems work, um, the way conventional service formations and things like that work that have been used at all the way up to the Olympic level. And if you actually watch the Olympics, you'll see a lot of the same things formationally. That we do. Yeah, um, because we follow the international rules for we, the most part. We use a lot of the same concepts and, and alignments and things like that. So we're, we're training our kids at a very high, like to play the game at a very high level, whether or not it always looks that way or not, certainly not the <laughs> case. But um, that's what we're trying to get them to understand is the game at a very high level. So left sides inside conventional systems need to be able to kind of do everything. They're yep. the jack of all trades. Yep. They have to pass. They have to play defense. They have to serve. They have to pat or they have to attack. They have to block. Like they have to do. The only thing they don't do is set that second ball, mm-hmm. right? That's really the only thing that you're really not asking that player to do. So you really need to be a jack of all trades. You need to be really, you know, a quality player at all those spots. Within the positions, there's also some nuance. You have what we call an L1 or an O1 or that number one outside here and number two. Now those are not rankings. Mm-mm. 
those are it's a positional thing and and the one plays next to the setter yep um in a five one in a five one system and the two does not play next to the setter and it's all about just the the type of player so the one generally is more the bigger hitter yep the kid that can kind of cover up the fact that maybe you have a setter that's not very offensive and mm-hmm. uh can handle a, a little bit more higher volume of of attacks on the left side that two is generally your kind of your your true Swiss Army knife volleyball player. That those are the kids we call ballers. Um, yep. That's how we refer to that yep. position a lot. Is we're looking for that baller kid that can do everything, get us in system on the passing game, run balls down defensively, score a few balls. But they norm, for two rotations, they're bracketed by the right side, so they they don't have as much of an offensive load um, on them. Same thing with the middles. We have a one and a two, and again, not rankings, just simply responsibilities. The, the in a 5-1 system, the, the M1, the, the middle, is the kid that is next to the setter for two rotations, and we'll, we're going to get that kid to really try to be proficient running a slide off of one foot. Again, they have to take a higher offensive load uh, because they're not, they don't have that third hitter in the rotation for two, two of the times that they're up there. Um, the two, predominantly and, again, conventionally, stays in front of the setter um, and hits, you know, those one balls and the gaps and the, in the different plays in front of the setter. You're also looking for a really strong blocker um, in that spot. That's generally, you want both middles to be great blockers, right. but it, it, if you had to choose, you're going to put your sh- stronger hitter in the one and your stronger blocker in the two. Mm-hmm. Um, again, these all just set up conventionally for matchups against the other side of the net, things like that. And then your opposite Generally looking for a little more physicality, certainly, and now physical doesn't necessarily mean taller. It means the ability to play high above the net, the ability to put a really big swing on a ball. Mm-hmm. Um, we are just talking about this sort of right. debate today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and you're specifically, you also need somebody that's really, hopefully, you're trying to identify a really good blocker. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think of a kid like Fish on your team, um, that's really, you know, the, the, she just has that length and that physicality to be able to get up and and really disrupt yep. the other team's outside hitters, which is where 70% of the balls go. Correct. Not my number. That's statistic. Mm-hmm. 70% of the balls go to the outside because most of the game's played out of system, um, and that's where the ball goes. So you need a really strong blocker there to kind of disrupt that other team's best hitter and really uh, do that. So that's, you know, from the positions, that's what we're trying to identify. And, and you know, I think a great... Um, there's a graphic out there, you know, as players think about what, you know, possibly playing at the next level, go playing beyond club and into college. There's some great statistical analysis out there of what does a D one outside look like? And they give, they list the height and the jump and sort of the qualities of what that player looks like. And then now again, none of these are perfect, but they seem to be heavily slanted towards the higher D one, but but still, you, you see, like, and again, I'm not going to quote it right, but I'm not going to be too far off. You know, uh, a Division One outside is generally about, probably ranges from somewhere in that 5'11 to 6'1, 6'2 mm-hmm. range, probably touching right around 10 feet. Um, you know, it has a certain velocity on what they're doing with their swings. Yep. Um, and then everything just sort of ranges back, right, as you get into D2, D3, junior college, yeah. um, NAIA. All of that sort starts to, to get there. Now, again, does, does anybody have to look at that and say that's, that's pure, like you have to slot yourself that way? There's certainly examples. We were just talking about we're the talking kid about that we know, yeah. you know, from Circle City that, <laughs> that's definitely not six foot. She, she does touch. 
she does definitely touch 10, 10, 3, 10, 4. So she does that part well. But, you know, everybody's going to, there's exceptions to every rule, but but you still want to get a range and you can kind of understand that. You know, uh, middles. Generally, we see the middles be the taller players, right? Like that's usually what you're looking for in that position. Um, good, quick, dynamic feet, but big, powerful, strong shoulders, the ability to kind of go up and, and make those plays. And, um, you know, right sides, again, probably a little shorter, probably in between the middle and, and the, the outside in a, in a normal situation. Um, but, but still looking a little bit more on the physical side, you're probably less concerned with their ball control and their, their defensive prowess as you are, their their attacking and their blocking at that side. And so, you know, we want kids to be able to do all these things. And we've had plenty of kids change positions from one year to the next over the years. And there's nothing wrong with those, those types of things, but that, I don't know. Did that, does that do a pretty good job of overviewing the positions in, yep. in a way that would make people understand kind of what we're trying to identify and look for and, and what they can kind of identify out on the court. Again, some, some common things that you're going to see. Middle hitters don't hit the ball a ton. No. Um, it requires... That's why we like to call them middle blockers. Yeah, right. <laughs> it requires... And it's not because they're not good hitters. No. We have some, the best. We have some, we have some... Yeah, and if you look at hitting percentages of middles, they're the highest yep. uh, in the sport. And the reason is, generally speaking, they, they are getting set when the game is in system. And usually one block. Yep. So they're, when they when we're in system, that means the other team has to defend all three of our hitters, which means their blockers are all occupied, and you're going to get one on ones, you know, in the matchup. So our middles tend to to get a lot of those balls in in system, and they're able to take advantage of those one on ones. Um, right sides probably see the second v- level volume of of swings we can play out of system to the right side, yeah. but generally in a five one you only have them for three rotations. Exactly. So yep. Um, you know, they, 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 they probably hit the second highest percentage, um, in terms of attacking are, and they drop down just a little bit underneath the middles in terms of that. Um, and then the outsides see the, the greatest volume of swings. Um, what's going on out there? Uh, I believe regional strength and conditioning, which actually has quite a few kids. Yeah. Great. As you can hear. Yeah. It's, it's noisy. <laughs> um, yeah, we got pushed back a little bit uh, on our slot today, right? Yeah, we got pushed out for, a, you know, just an NCAA champion. <laughs> Adam was doing a podcast with Mackenzie Long up at one, uh, well, I almost said one Wisconsin at uh, uh, Madtown. Madtown. Yeah, Juniors, well, yeah. Max, Max, a, a former player Wait, and yeah. one of my favorites. So I, I, I have no problem. Yeah, and she's uh, a way bigger deal than us. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. How did that happen? Um, <laughs> so, you know, the outside see the highest volume of sets. For sure. And again, that's not because they're the necessarily the best attackers on the team. It's the way the game is played. It's the reality that when the game's out of system, from the angle that we set from, the way the setter's facing, this is just the easier set to make. And uh, uh, they get a high volume of swings, but they hit for a much lower percentage because they have to, a lot of times, just put the ball in play. Yep. They, they see a lot more double blocks. They see defenses that are ready for them as opposed to being like, caught in the middle not sure where you're going to go um so so again you have to kind of look for players that can handle that high volume of swings you also have to look for players that can understand that hey you know it's like baseball right like in what world do our kids grow up saying that if you do something three out of ten times it's good yeah (laughs) it's just baseball right like baseball if you're a 300 hitter you're you're an Mm all-star um you do that for five ten years you're you're in the hall of fame um and yet, we don't grow up in a way that says failing seven out of ten times is okay. 
Um, I think a lot of that's the same with our hitters, right? Like outside hitters, a great outside hitter is going to hit 250, which means 25 out of 100 attacks are actually going to end up with a kill. Yep. Um, there's some nuance to the hitting percentages. We're not going to go through stats Correct. today. Yep. That, that's going to drive everybody crazy. But, you know, that's it just doesn't seem like, oh, my gosh, this kid didn't do their job 75 times out of 100, and you're, you guys are good with yep. that. Yep, that's exactly how the game's played. Um, so, you know, where, where you're going to see some middles probably hit closer to like 400, 400, yep. you know, 350, 400. Well, you know, that's significantly higher. Everybody wants, well, you should just set the middles more. Well, yeah, if it was that to. easy, you know, <laughs> we, we would love to do that. Um, so, you know, I think from a positional standpoint, that's, and again, we're not getting into systems. We're not talking about five ones and six twos because all of that creates a different yeah. setup on the court in terms of how many hitters we have and all that. We talked about it a little bit last week, but yeah, it makes the L1, L2, M1, M2 thing kind of flips itself flips it bit. yeah because it becomes less important and now you're really creating setter hitter matchups that yep. make sense and and how that flows uh with with the players so you know that that's that's positions in a nutshell you know I, I, again there's a lot there but you know again left sides jack of all trades middles mm-hmm. big physical play above the net um great lateral quickness but definitely strong can, can put up a big block right sides able to come in dynamically and, and get a lot of swings, but also be able to disrupt the other team's best hitter, setters, leaders, yep. you know, kids that can, can set up, you know, they're really kind of live in that world of I'm here to make the people around me better um, and not, not taking a lot of the glory. Um, liberos, you know, best defensive players on the team, defensive specialists, you know, kids that can come in and be that in between the libero, but still, bring a, a quality that uh, maybe these bigger, more physical players are not bringing in the back row. So that's kind of how the position breakout works. Cool. Awesome. Hey, guys, it's Trace here. I just wanted to get on and talk about um, why we don't have weekend updates this week and uh, what to look forward to for the rest of this week. Uh, first off, I'm recording this from my laptop, um, not on the beautiful audio that Adam lets us use. So if anything's a little screwed up, that's why. Second, uh, I kind of screwed up last week. <laughs> I, uh, I meant to get an interview done with uh, Jen. That never really happened. So we're looking to do that this week, uh, maybe next week. So that's all. That got screwed up. And then I grabbed the wrong backpack going into St. Louis, and it had my Theragun in it, which was great. Uh, kids got to use that. I got to use that this weekend. However, it didn't have the laptop in it, and it didn't have my iPad for recording my team's footage this weekend. So that was a whole thing. Um, so we didn't get to didn't get to upload it in time for weekend updates to make sense. Didn't want to release this podcast with weekend updates from two weekends ago. Um, and not going to do the weekend updates on this podcast for NIT and St. Louis and all the President's Day fun that was had this weekend. Um, so we'll do that all later this week. Obviously, we're on a bit of a pushback schedule with everyone getting back late last night. Um, so that's that's the update. I apologize. Hopefully, we'll get back on schedule. But I think most of you listening to this know how crazy this time is right now. Uh, it's a little... I want to say unprecedented, however, we deal with it every year, but it does always seem to seem to catch us a little off guard somehow. Enjoy your day.